Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Hey, welcome into the latest edition of the Show Before the Show podcast, the official podcast of Minor League Baseball as the uh, the second edition of this on my new computer, which I'm just going to bring up until I'm not excited about it. But when I hit record, I'm not the host of this podcast, uh, inter- like the, the Zoom link. It now tells me recording in progress. I used to hit record and I could see Sam and Ben react like it was blasting over their speakers. Recording in progress. Now it comes back to me. So now I too know, Sam, we're making such big strides. Yeah, only eight Zoom. years into this show. Zoom is learning to communicate with us is what I think. <laughs> it's great. It's tremendous yeah. work. Uh, so, hey, welcome. We got a lot coming up for you on this week's episode of the show. Before the show, we're going to check in with Benjamin Hill, who is on the road coming up this weekend. Uh, he gets a chance to be the first among us to go visit your friend and ours, Joshua Jackson, uh, in Portland, Maine, which is very exciting. Josh now living in the Portland area, and uh, it's pretty cool stuff. I'm a little jealous of Ben that he gets to make that trek, but we're going to talk to Ben as he's headed up uh, northeast of New York City. And uh, coming up here in just a little bit, we're going to hear from the fourth-ranked prospect in the Kansas City Royals organization, Vinny Pasquantino, who has been ridiculous this year uh, for AAA Omaha, just as he was last year uh, at two different levels and levels for high A Quad City and double uh, A Northwest Arkansas with Quad Cities and OPS of 949. Then he got to Northwest Arkansas. He was even better, 965. Now he's a triple A Omaha. He's OPSing 1059. Uh, former Old Dominion Monarch, who has been outstanding. We'll hear from Vinny coming up here in a little while. And uh, huge thanks. To all of you for joining this week's edition of the show before the show, you can get in touch with this podcast at MILB.com. You can find Sam on Twitter at Sam Dykes or MILB. Uh, I am Tyler Mon. And uh, without further ado, let's dive in for three strikes on this week's episode of the show before the show. We're talking about the month of May. We have wrapped things up through the season's first full month. And uh, looking in the rearview mirror, we've had a lot of top prospects already make their graduations to the big leagues. We've seen guys make the climb to the upper levels of the minors, to double A and triple A. And we're starting to see some young guys really start to make their names known as well. Sam, let's kick things off uh, and talk about things at the plate in May. Who were some of the hitters that impressed you most last month? Yeah, there's a guy I want to highlight here. Uh, from the San Francisco Giants system. That's Vaughn Brown, <clears throat> excuse me, an outfielder last year, 10th round pick in the 2021 draft out of Florida Southern College. He basically played there for five years. I don't want to say basically played there for five years. He did play there for five years, um, in part because of the shortened 2020 season. A lot of guys were allowed to tack on a fifth season. He did that, and it, 
parlayed that into a draft pick with the Giants. Now he's been at single A San Jose. A little old for the level. This is technically his age 24 season, but he was probably the best minor league hitter in the month of May. You look at his numbers, he batted 448. And that's not in a small sample. That was over 104 plate appearances, an average of 448. He had the best OPS in minor league baseball in the month of May at 1.423. Uh, had an on-base percentage of 538, was slugging 885, uh, hit nine home runs in 23 games for San Jose, stole 13 bases, was not caught once. I mean, you look at Von Brown's numbers through the years in Florida Southern, uh, his last year there, he had an OPS of 1254. Uh, last year, played in the Arizona Complex League, had an OPS there of 1-100. This is a guy who's basically hit everywhere he's been the last couple of years. It's just the giant system right now is pretty loaded. Uh, it's It's been in the best shape that I can remember in the last you know number of seasons, uh, especially in the outfield. You look at some of their outfield options. Kind of had to start the year at San Jose because of that and needed the uh, at bats, if you know if he was going to get him anywhere, it wasn't going to be at Eugene. It was going to be at San Jose. He's answering the call there. You look at his numbers for the year. He's batting 355 with a 443 on base percentage and 645 slugging. Again, he's he's too old for the California League. He should be moving pretty quickly uh, through that system. But Von Brown ticked all of the boxes in May and kind of became a name that I think a lot of us have to pay attention to. Uh, just because of the way he's performing. Yes, maybe that challenge will finally come when he gets to the Northwest League. We also know that the Cal League is a hitter-friendly league, not as necessarily hitter-friendly as it was in the days of High Desert and Lancaster, but certainly still hitter-friendly. What happens when he heads north? We'll have to see. But Von Brown certainly playing his way uh, into conversation, consideration, however you want to put it uh, there in the giant system. Just a couple other guys to shout out real quick uh, based off their performance in May. The two leaders in home runs from that month were Kerry Carpenter of the Detroit Tiger system uh, and Matt Gorski of the Pittsburgh Pirates system. They both hit 13 home runs in the month of May. Second place is our guest this week, and we'll get into this more with him later, was Vinny Pasquantino, who hit 12 homers for Omaha in 26 games. Very impressive month uh, for Vinny Pasquantino, who we will talk to, as Sam noted, uh, coming up here in just a little bit. What about on pitching side for strike two? Um, guys on the mound, you feel like May is kind of when we really see players start to find rhythm. Uh, I think in April, guys are just trying to discover, you know, where they are getting into competition for the first time, uh, you know, after a normal offseason, the first normal offseason in a couple of years. Uh, in May, we sort of see that rhythmic balance to a season, especially now with so many pitchers on the starting side going once a week. Who stood out to you on the pitcher's mound? Yeah, I think that's the interesting thing about the pitching side. When you say like hitters, I think are warming up to things. It's easier to hit the warmer it gets, but also on the pitching side, especially in the minor leagues, these guys are starting to add innings. They're starting to appear maybe twice a week, you know, pitch on Tuesday, pitch on Saturday, something like that. Um, so as the workload kind of builds up, how is this stuff sustaining? How is it maintaining uh, through each of these appearances? And I don't mean to make this a Kansas City Royals centric podcast this week, but the pitcher who stood out to me maybe most was their uh, left-handed pitcher who they, we have right now is their number 27 prospect, Drew Parrish. Uh, pitching at double A Northwest Arkansas. He had a 0.59 ERA in five starts. He had the best whip in minor league baseball in the month of May, 0.62. So both his ERA and whip were below 0.7, which is crazy. Uh, really good control, only walked four batters in those five starts, 30 and two thirds innings. Struck out 29, so almost a batter an inning uh, for him. The thing about Drew Parrish 
coming into this year, 2019 eighth round pick. Not a huge name, not a huge pitcher either. He's just listed at 5'11". Uh, he's got a really, really good changeup. I think that's what really helps him out because um, he's not going to really bring velocity. He's, his curveball is pretty good, but not great. He's going to be low 90s. Um, but that upper 70s changeup is really, really good. Uh, and I think it's certainly working right now at the double A level. You know, he, he, he I'm sure he's going to get tested at triple A eventually. Uh, and without that size is a, is a really good change of going to be enough for that. We'll see, but being able to pitch in the strike zone is a great start at double A having a good change up where, you know, a lot of guys haven't seen a really good change of like the one he has, I think certainly helps him. So Drew Parrish pitching his way. I mean, he was already a, a top 30 prospect in the Royal system, but pitching his way into something that a lot of us are going to have to pay attention to, you know, as he gets closer and closer to Kansas city. Uh, Vinny Pasquantino was uh, named to our last two pipeline prospect teams of the week. Another guy who joined him on that list is uh, Minnesota twins, number 20 prospect, Steve Hedjar, who was uh, taken out of the university of Michigan with a second round selection last year in 2021. Uh, Steve's numbers in the month of May, four starts, two and zero record, 0.51 ERA, 0.85 whip opponents batting 071 against him, 29 strikeouts against 11 walks in 17 and two thirds innings. Uh, keep an eye on him. He had three starts in April, put up a four, seven, six with a one and a half whip. So the numbers have been ridiculous in May and that's somebody else uh, to keep an eye on as well. And uh, wrapping up three strikes for this week's episode, we uh, like to take a look sometimes at the win and loss records of organizations across minor league baseball. We talk so, so often about how winning and losing is not the most important things in the minor leagues. Uh, it's all about player development and that type of stuff, but there are still wins and losses in a scoreboard for a reason. Sam, what are the organizational standings looking like through now nearly two full months of the minor league season? Yeah, so I'll give you the top five teams in terms of winning percentage, and I'll give you the bottom five teams. And uh, just to give you an idea of who's doing the best and who's doing the worst this year, across four full-season affiliates, um, short-season ball is actually supposed to begin next week, so we'll be adding a lot more to these uh, next week, and I'm sure we'll talk about the beginning of short-season ball on next week's episode. But just for now, uh, through you know, through June 2nd when we're recording this, is, these are the organizational standings, the top five teams right now are the Chicago Cubs, who are 111 and 78. The Milwaukee Brewers are number two at 110 and 78. So it's one win that separates those two, two clubs, uh, or those two farm systems, rather. At number three is the Minnesota Twins at 109 and 78. Number four is the Cleveland Guardians, one of the deeper systems in baseball, at 106 and 82. And tied with them, actually, the same record is the Colorado Rockies at 106 and 82. So those are the top five teams right now with the best organizational winning percentages across minor league baseball, the bottom five, and we'll go from number 30, work our way up to number 25 at the bottom of the list is the Chicago white Sox at 78 and 113. Uh, that's a winning percentage of 408. 29th is the Houston Astros 78 and 112. 28 is Kansas city Royals at 79 and 110. 27 is Seattle Mariners 82 and 107. And 26 is the Oakland Athletics, who are 84 and 106. Now, it's interesting to look at this for a number of reasons. I'll start with the bottom group because you see the Seattle Mariners and the Kansas City Royals in that. Um, those are two systems we were both high on coming into this year. The Seattle Mariners we had as the number two farm system coming into the year because it was deep. But it was also 
it also had a lot of guys who were major league ready or close to it. Julio Rodriguez starting out the year in the majors, Matt Brash starting out the year in the majors, George Kirby is up there now. Uh, the system is certainly going to look different when those guys graduate. Um, but we still were high on their long-term, you know, major league outlook because of all those guys who were so close to the show. Same thing with the Kansas city Royals, Bobby Wood Jr. has already graduated. Uh, MJ Melendez is in the majors. Vinny Pasquantino is knocking on the door. Nick Prado is knocking on the door. Aza Lacey is injured right now, but, uh, you know, is getting close himself. So just because these teams aren't winning doesn't mean their farm systems are bad. But looking at the top of the system with the Cubs and the Brewers, those were two systems that we thought were okay to not great coming into the year, but they've been winning and they're starting to turn that around. And I think a big reason for that is you look at who the Brewers are winning with. Their, their best team right now uh, is AAA Nashville at 673, but maybe their best prospect team is a level below that with AA Biloxi, uh, who's 22 and 23. Carolina has a lot of really pop-up prospects this year. Jackson Churio is making a lot of noise on that team. Henry Mendez is on that team. Uh, Hedbert Perez is on that team. Jefferson Caro. It is a very, very deep system, deeper than maybe we were giving it credit for coming into the year. And now, you know, they're showing it on the field and, and the Brewers are winning. Same thing with the Cubs. We're seeing Pete Crow Armstrong, what he's capable of doing when he's healthy. He Um, from low A Myrtle Beach or single A Myrtle Beach to high A South Bend. But Myrtle Beach so far this year, 34 and 13. They're a big driver of the Chicago Cubs success. So as these guys start climbing, you're, you're, you might see South Bend starting to win more games as guys like Pete Crow Armstrong make it to that level. Um, but yeah, we're going to have to start paying even more attention to the Chicago Cubs and Milwaukee Brewers than we thought we were coming into the year. And that is three strikes for this week's episode of the show. Before the show, we've got a very traditional episode for you this week. Vinny Pasquantino from the Kansas City Royals will join us coming up here in just a couple of minutes. And then uh, we'll hear from Benjamin Hill on the road a little while later. It's all ahead on this week's episode of the show before the show. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, we are thrilled on this week's episode of the show before the show to head to the, uh, well, I think it's the gateway of the West. What is it? I don't remember the nickname now for Omaha, Nebraska, but one of my favorite and most underrated cities in America, Omaha, Nebraska, where we find the fourth ranked prospect in the Kansas City Royals organization, Vinny Pasquantino, who joins us. Vinny, what's going on, man? Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you guys, too. Thanks for having me on. I'm uh, currently in the family room at Warner Park here in in uh, Nebraska, just at the stadium, getting ready for the game. So it's exciting. Uh, Very cool. Again, just thank, yeah, thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. Thanks so much for doing this. I didn't screw it up. It is Gateway to the West, by the way. Um, when, tell us about first the the situation, the the ballpark, Warner Park in in Omaha uh, is not actually in Omaha. It's in Papillion, just slightly outside of Omaha. What is the 
the living situation like, the commute situation like, when you guys are located a little bit outside of the main city, um, what is it like, uh, you know, kind of being part of that community? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a cool community. So I technically live in La Vista, Nebraska, um, which is about 10 minutes away. It's where we were uh, fortunate enough for, you know, how that new rule passed this year where the team provides housing for, yeah. you know, um, I guess there's, if you're still on your rookie contract, teams, teams provide housing, which is pretty cool. So they put us up in a really nice apartment complex in La Vista and it's about 10 minutes away. You basically take one road and you get to the stadium and, you know, it's, it's good. It's long enough where you can listen to a few songs and decompress on the way home, but not long enough to where it's a 30 minute commute, which is always nice. That is nice. Um, and you are in the middle of really what we could say is your second straight or third straight breakout season. Although you had a, a break in between that rookie campaign in 2019 and then getting to play a minor league season last year. So let's talk about 2022 to start things. Uh, you kick things off at Omaha. Uh, you're already almost 50 games in, but you got a slash line of 298, 392, 667, 15 homers so far. I know as of the beginning of this week, when we named you to our second straight uh, pipeline prospect team of the week, you were leading all of AAA and runs batted in you've got 52 in that category right now uh it's triple a is supposed to be hard Vinny. what's what's the deal here well i've been fortunate <laughs> to have people on base for me that's uh that's the easiest way to drive in runs right is the guys in front of me have been doing a really nice job of getting on base i can always appreciate that uh, it's just one of those things I, i'm just <laughs> i'm just trying to hit that's about it i i uh i have the same approach as i pretty much had since i was 10 i mean obviously there's some there's some uh, more advanced things in there now, but I really just want to have good at bats and I'm not worried about, I mean, obviously you're a little bit worried about the numbers, but when I'm at the plate, I don't, I don't care about my numbers. I'm just trying to have good at bats and make the pitcher work to get me out. When you say you've had the same approach for so long in your baseball life, take us through what that is. What is the Vinny Pasquantino approach and how have you had to adapt, especially as you've climbed, you know, you get to Northwest Arkansas and have so much success there last year, Omaha this year, how have you adapted to the level changes? Well, I mean, my approach is quite simple. Uh, when you look at it from a, kind of an outsider's perspective is I want to have, I want to make the pitcher sweat a little bit when he faces me. That's about it. If, if I consider myself to have a good at bat, then even if it's not by industry standards, then I'm good with it. That's my goal. I have my own formula for what makes a good at bat. And it's not the same every time, right? Like if, if I see 10 pitches in at bat, that's normally for the most part, a pretty good at bat. Um, but if I hit one a hundred on the first pitch and I line out or a flat or something, it, depending on how I feel about it, that's a good at bat too. So I really don't look at, Oh, I got a, you know, I hit a double there or I hit a homer or I hit a single, whatever it might be. I just, I'm really looking at the approach and how I approach that at bat. And if, if I feel like I did a nice job, then I'm happy with it. Yeah. And you said, it's always been basically the same approach with some more advanced things to it. What are some of those more advanced things to it? Cause obviously once you join an organization, once you join pro ball, there's a lot more voices talking to you about hitting. So what are some of the things that may be slightly different than from your college days? Well, I, I think I've been able to flatten out at the top of the zone um, a good about more since I got into professional baseball. Once that, you know, once that extra velo kicks in a little bit and guys are throwing 96, 97 at the top of the zone, you really got to learn how to get to it. So that was, that's one thing that I can really picture of, of something I've focused on a little bit. I, I'm not saying I've changed everything about my swing, but I'm really, uh, I'm really focused on making sure I can get to that pitch, making sure I can cover 
you know, the lefty slider down and away, you know, different ways people are attacking me. I want to be able to be able to attack those pitches as well. So they you know that's just one that kind of, uh, that kind of jumps out at me. Yeah. And, and looking at what, you know, you're, you're, you've been able to do so far in 2022, as Tyler was saying, um, you're coming off a really hot month of May in which you hit 12 homers. And, and one thing that's always stood out to me talking about that approach is that you've typically been either a guy who's walked more than he struck out or those rates have been about even in May, it kind of swapped. You, you started to hit for more power, like I said, 12 home runs, but struck out 20 times and walked 11. Is that something you're becoming more comfortable with? Or is that just something that happened in a small sample? Like, how are you able to turn on the power uh, this last month? <laughs> no, that's never something I'm going to be comfortable with. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, the good thing about baseball is there's always something to look at. You're never perfect. So, yes, I had a good month, but there are some things I want to clean up. Um, I'm not worried about the month. The month's over, right? I, I joke with one of my best friends all the time, Michael Massey. We always talk about how the day before just has no effect on – the next day. And it's the same that your first at bat has no effect on what you're going to do in your second. It's like flipping a coin, right? It's just because you flip heads doesn't mean tails is automatically going to be next, right? Heads can flip 10 times in a row. There's no rhyme or reason for it over the course of a hundred flips. Obviously it's not going to be heads all the time, but it's just one of those things that I'm always able to, I'm always able to look at something and try to improve. Right. I, I would prefer not to strike out nine times more than I, more than I did walk in a month, but, you know, when you look back on the month, there was, there were some things that I really tried to work on. I was successful at, there were some things I wasn't so successful at. So yeah, you know, there's, there's a new month, it's June. So, you know, we're always trying to get better on every pitch, not just every day, every at bat, you know, every pitch and trying to, trying to work on something to see something new from a pitcher, see what I'm feeling. And those things where, you know, I'm not looking to walk. I'm not looking, I'm obviously not looking to strike out. I'm just looking to have a good at bat every time when I go up there and sometimes you walk more, sometimes you strike out more. It's just one of those things. I just try to keep, I just try try to keep myself in a headspace that's very neutral. Yeah. Well, fair enough. Well, you know, like the, we were saying, the, the numbers will tell us one story, but you say, you know, you look back at the month and you feel like there are some things you did well. So what, in your own words, what do you feel like you were most successful at uh, during the month of May? Well, I, I think I did a pretty good job of, uh, this is just going to be a funny thing to say, but, I did a good job of doing some damage on pitches that I got. Um, I hit more homers this month and I'm happy with that. I hit more doubles this month. I'm happy with, I think I tied myself in triples in the month of uh, April and May. I think I had one in each. So we're going to try to keep that consistent throughout the rest of the year, try to hit one a month. Um, but it's just one of those things that I think if, you know, if I go back to the walks for a second, I, I think I walk more when I'm not putting the ball in play as much. So I think I did a good job this, this month of, uh, putting the ball in play with less than two strikes more. So I didn't have to get into two straight counts because in my opinion, that's where I think I walked the most is when I get to get the full count and, and work and count. So it was just one of those things. I think I was, I was playing the game a little bit better um, last month. So hopefully I can do the same thing this month and just really, you know, just try to get the ball in play and make something happen. Vinny, you were an 11th round pick out of Old Dominion in, in 2019. And um, people, you know, are probably not familiar with just how familiar they are with Old Dominion baseball. I mean, there's been some really good talent that has come out of Old Dominion that I think people probably aren't aware of. Justin Verlander, probably the, the most famous alumnus. But um, I know the Royals felt like they had found a gem in being able to get you where they got you. What did it mean to you to be able to go in that spot in the draft and have an organization that was so excited about getting you? 
it was pretty cool. And the cool thing about Royals is they really love players. So I think they were just as excited as uh, guys that they picked after me and before me as they were me. Right. I don't think it was just a, just a me thing. I, I believe that they truly invest in their players and I think it's a really cool thing. So to be in any organization that values you is a, is a unbelievable thing. And I definitely feel valued in the Royals organization. So, you know, I'm definitely happy that I'm a Royal. Plus, you went from the Monarchs to the Royals, which has to be a very easy transition. Uh, I right. also have to... similar color scheme too. Exactly. Yeah, nice you didn't have to that. trade in your ODU stuff. That's uh, it's perfect. That's right. uh, <laughs> I also have to ask you about this, and I I've just had ever since Sam told me we were getting you on, I was like, you know what, Vinny seems like a guy who we can have a fun conversation with because we've always heard such good things about you. And you know, I know Northwest Arkansas did a T-shirt giveaway this year in honor of your time there last year. You did a video for for Naturals fans, and uh, you seem like a guy who's uh, very well uh, able to look at where you are in your career and give some good reflections. So I have to ask you, your MLB pipeline prospect bio refers to you as a quote, well below average runner. (laughs) I am the slowest human being on the planet. And I take offense to that on your behalf. I want to point out, Vinny's got two triples this year. Uh, I cut the highlight of him flying to third base the other day on a, on an RBI triple uh, on the road. And uh, not only that in his career, I want everyone to know Vinny is successful on nine of 10 stolen base chances. Vinny, please uh, give us a defense of your speed. Cause I think you're getting a raw deal here. Uh, this is what we joke about with the Royals all the time. And anybody who sees the video of me running is not going to agree with what I'm about to say, but uh, I'm a good runner, not a fast runner, right? I'm just trying to clean up. I'm just trying to clean up my game a little bit, you know, be a good base runner. I don't need to be flying around the bases, but I feel like I score from first to home quite a bit. You know, guys put it in the gap. I'm going to, I'm going to give it a shot. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm not very fast. Um, <laughs> it's just as simple as that, but I try. So there's that. I, I will run hard. I can give you that. So, you know, if you want to poke holes at my speed, that's fine. <laughs> but you, you'll never be able to poke holes in. I swear I will run hard. Um, it might not look like it, but I, I promise you, I am giving it everything I got to get to the base as quick as possible. That's the right answer. The effort is there. Okay. Maybe we weren't all born with blazing speed, but if the effort is there, that's the important thing on the base pass. That's right. That's right. I'm trying, right. I'm trying my best. I mean, I, if somebody wants to put, I'm a good runner, not a fast runner on a workout shirt, I would <laughs> wear it run through the I park. Go tell, I have to, or, uh, sorry, I don't have to, uh, I get to go lift after this. <laughs> and I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell my strength coach, we got to make those t-shirts happen. Please do. Please do. And let us know when those are. Yeah. And please send us a couple. Cause yeah. I think it, I think it's uh it's apt for both me and Sam. Sam actually yeah. runs uh, pretty well. I look, if I was, if you saw me running down the street to be like, how do this put, how do they put this live human being in slow motion in front of my eyes? That's crazy. Well, well the, the worst part about being slow and left-handed is when you, hit a ground ball at the second baseman who's standing in short right field is you're basically watching your slow death happen because <laughs> you try to get to first and he's not going very fast because he knows that you're not fast. And it's just like, can you just please throw me out? Because I'm not going to get there. And it always ends up being like a step and a half away. And it's just unnecessary for all parties involved. We both know um, how this is going to end. Can't you just make this throw a little yeah, quicker? Just, <laughs> but I will say sometimes when I'm at first and a, and a guy like me, like a bigger guy, bigger left-handed hitter hits me a hard ground ball. I will take my time to get the first. You know, make the guy work for it a little bit. You know? Oh make yeah. Him, make okay. Think he can get, get to That's it. good yeah. karma. You have to suffer through it. So you make other people. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. 
Well, Vinny, I was going to ask about this, and I'm glad actually Tyler asked you about it in terms of like what is the setup in Omaha, because it just confirms to a lot of Royals fans who are wondering where you are at all times at this point, that you are in Omaha, you're still at AAA. Um, as somebody who is knocking on the door of the major leagues, and, and it has been as hot as you've been, like, how much do you pay attention to how close am I to the majors, what's going on in Kansas City, how can I potentially plug myself in very soon? Uh -huh. So, so the best way that I would answer that is I've thought about the major leagues every day since I was about three years old. Um, so nothing's changed. Every morning I wake up, I want to be a big leaguer. <laughs> That's all I think about. I want to be a big leaguer. So just because I'm in AAA does not change that mindset. Um, I know that I'm one step away, but I also know that I'm still a step away. So I'm just trying to do everything I can on a daily basis to become a big leaguer. And that has not changed since I was since I was young. So it's just one of those things that I hope one day the time comes, I'm going to do everything I can to make it happen. And but more importantly is tonight I am the DH in the Omaha Storm Chasers game and I'm going to do everything I can to help this team win because that's all that matters. Um, I'm going to do the same thing tomorrow. I'm going to do the same thing Saturday. I'm going to do the same thing Sunday. I'm going to do the same thing the rest of the year. Wherever I am playing, I will do whatever I can to help that team win. And that's all I'm focused on. All right, well, I'll ask this then. As somebody who's thought about their major league debut since you were three years old, uh, and it's a lot more real than it is for a lot of people, we just had this with Adley Rutschman. He got called up, and they had that really cool moment where you could see him take in what it was like to play in Camden Yards. He kind of did a 360 look. What do you imagine that first day is going to be like? Like, Do you allow yourself to think about that? Do you allow yourself to think about what you would do in your first at-bat? It's kind of funny. I've never actually – I mean, I have over the past few years, but when I think about playing Major League Baseball, I've never thought about that first moment on the field. Um, I've always thought about standing in the middle of the field with the commissioner, uh, with 26 other guys around me, holding a World Series trophy. Um, like when I close my eyes and think about Major League Baseball, that's what I think about. Um, but I have thought a little bit about, you know, how I'm not going to sleep. I probably won't be able to feel my legs. Um I probably won't remember the day very much because it's just going to be unbelievably stressful. Um, not stressful in terms of, you know, you're realizing a dream, but stressful in terms of probably got a lot of family coming into town. You've got a lot more extracurriculars going on and it's just for that one day. Cause after that it will slow down, but it's just one of those things that, yeah, I'm going to take it in as, as much as I humanly possibly can. Um, but at the end of the day, it's baseball and, the only thing that matters that day is whatever team I'm on, try to help them win. I'm sorry to keep going back to that point. No, but yeah. At the end of the day, we're trying to win ball games, and that's you know that's what I want to do. Yeah, and when you talk about the logistics of, of what that could be like, and again, I don't want to get too ahead of this, but I'm just fascinated by talking to somebody who is at the AAA level and is proving their potential major league readiness by the day. When you are at AAA now, and it is just one call away, like, do you always have to be on? Do you always keep yourself like, do you not allow yourself to go to movies to keep your cell phone off in case a call comes from the Royals GM or something? Like, what is it like just being at that environment, knowing you are one call? <laughs> so this is a kind of a funny side note to go off of just that. Um, last week, I was fortunate enough that my girlfriend was able to come to Louisville. That's where we were. And we were staying at her grandparents' house. And I left my phone in my car. And I asked her if she would go grab it because I was, <laughs> I was already laying in bed. So I didn't have any interest in going and she was still up. And she said, why do you need your phone? And I go, well, I, what if somebody needs to get in touch with me? 
Like I can't not have my phone. And it's that exact thing. No, I'm, my phone will be on me unless I'm at the field my, or with somebody in the Royals organization that could get in touch with me if need be. I will always have my phone on me because you're right. Because I believe the person who's made those phone calls so far this year is our manager, Scott Thorman. So if he ever calls me, I'm probably going to pick up on the uh, first ring. That's so awesome. Um, Vinny, I want to ask you about uh, a few things just kind of going back in your your baseball days, your your personal interests, all that type of stuff. Um, I, I know one of my favorite things when we have players on and went to college is to go back and look at your college bio because there's always more fun notes in a college bio than we find on the, on the pro ranks, uh, your favorite food, according to ODU sports.com listed as a Chipotle burrito bowl. Let's get the uh, bowl order. What is the, what's the bowl? Well, so it's changed a little bit. Um, it's brown rice, black beans, half chicken, half steak, cheese. That's it. Wow. So okay. Yeah. But, Interesting. uh, so no salsas, no veggies, none of that. No, there's a fun fact about me is I'm a pretty picky eater. In the fact that I cannot stand pretty much most vegetables. So, you know, anything that's extracurricular, I don't want on pretty much anything I eat. I just want meat, cheese, and I just got into beans like a year ago. <laughs> so I just I guess got I, into beans. Have you heard of these beans they got now? Yeah, I just it, got into these. I started, yeah, I started with pinto beans, and then my girlfriend, Ryan, we lived together in Nashville in the offseason. She uh, made these bowls at home one time, and she didn't tell me that black beans were in it, and I ate it. I was like, wow, this is pretty good. She goes, there's black beans in there, you know? <laughs> oh, man, you got me, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and so, so now I like black beans. Um, that is amazing. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Um, okay. You, uh, you list putt putt is one of your favorite hobbies. Do you get to go mini golfing much these days? I'm actually like a little bummed. I was a, a radio guy in the Carolina league for three years. Myrtle beach, uh, home of the, the Cubs affiliate now is like the putt putt capital of the world. Now you didn't get to go through there on your minor league road coming up. Are there a lot of putt putt stops in like quad cities or Northwest Arkansas? I know Omaha has some, some good places. Do you get to do it at all? Well, so I'm going to have to stop you right there because there's a difference between putt-putt and mini-golf. Oh, um, is there really? Yeah. I was so I know this because if, if you go to the – so putt-putt is an actual, like – I'm going to say the word sport here, um, <laughs> and just I'm just going to say it. But putt-putt is an actual thing, and if you, if you find your way to the, the – Putters Association website, um, and you go to 1992 and you look at the JPA national champions, you will see one Dennis Pasquantino as a national putt-putt champion. That is my father. Wow. He uh, won the 1992 Junior Putters Association national championship, and there's a putt-putt in Richmond, Virginia. It's off Midlothian Turnpike if you're in the 804 greater region at any point. And the difference between putt-putt and mini-golf is putt-putt has, like, uh, they have railings that are actually flat so you're supposed to bank off the railings okay. whereas mini golf has the bricks where it's you know you can't really you can try to bounce it but it might hit the crack in the brick so that's the difference there is it put put you know it's life or death out there mini golf you're just having a good time um and every tuesday night when i was in high school they still do it actually they have tournaments at putt putt where some of the guys who are members there that are unbelievable at putting you know bring your own putter bring your own ball everything like that they play in tournaments. And <laughs> when I was in, when I was a senior in high school, all my buddies and I and my dad, we would go up there and play every Tuesday night. We would play in putt-putt tournaments. You start with 
36 holes, I believe, 36 or 54 holes, and then whoever wins that wins, and then you go into match play after that, and you play in a tournament of match play. It's unbelievable. This is amazing, and I I feel so – uh, I feel like I owe an apology to the putt-putt community that I have so long lumped you in with mini golf. And it's the same. So you're you. saying like putt-putt is a thing. You're not like trying to bank it through Abe Lincoln's feet or like get it through a, a gap in like a clown's teeth. That's right. That is, that is right. Which is funny you mentioned that. I just watched Happy Gilmore the other day. So I'm glad you brought that up. It's a good movie. Now but yeah, that's the definition of mini golf right there. In Happy Gilmore, they were playing Mini golf, not mini golf, putt-putt. not putt putt. That is fascinating, and now I know, and I have learned something. Um, On behalf okay. of the putt putt community, we accept your apology. Thank goodness. <laughs> I was so worried of like the angry yeah. letters that we were going to get uh, mm-hmm. at the at the MLB offices from the the angry putt putters. But Vinny has given me. Uh, I'm absolved now from my putt putt, um, my glaring mistake. Um, okay, I have to ask you this question, Vinny, as somebody who. I am the half Italian member of this podcast. uh, And I also have a father named Dennis. So we have two things in common, although he's not the (laughs) Italian one. My mom is the Italian one, but you have a name, Vinny Pasquantino, that whenever we tweet anything about you from MILB or pipeline, uh, whenever anybody talks about you, there is always the reaction of like the, the chef gif with the kiss hand or comments about being Italian. You've got the perfect Italian. If your name was like Jeremy Pasquantino, you'd probably get some of it, but being named Vinny Pasquantino, how, what is it like dealing with that? Is it funny for you? Is it kind of annoying? Like, what is it like dealing with the constant comments around your name? Sometimes I try to lean into it. Like right now I have long enough hair where I could slick it back and I look pretty (laughs) Italian. So I, I like doing that sometimes. Um, I'm an I'm a known chain wearer, so that leans right yep. into the stereotype yep. too of wearing a bunch of chains. Um, so I, I think it's hilarious um, because <laughs> the only thing I really do that's super Italian, and it's only Italian because of the show Friends, is I say "How you doing?" <laughs> but I that's like so like if I see in this, like anybody I see, I'd be like, "Hey man, how you doing?" That's about it. That's like the only thing that I do that you'd be like, "That's that's relatively Italian right there," but. I love it. I, I, I think it's hilarious. Um, I don't speak Italian. I don't like tomatoes. I don't like onions. So like if, if I have spaghetti sauce with uh, like tomatoes or onions in it, I kind of hate it, but that's just kind of between us. Um, <laughs> and, but it, it's just one of those things where I see it and I appreciate the fans always. Right. I don't control that narrative. So I appreciate them. If, if that's what, you know, that's what people want to tweet, tweet it. That's cool. Um, I don't know. I, my grandfather's pretty Italian, so he probably really loves it. Um, and yeah, I don't really have much comment on the Italian stuff. Keep doing it if you want. I don't care. It's, I think it's funny. I think it's cool. So cool with me. Well, we do have to get you on the record about this at least because there are two nicknames out there about you and they're both Italian based. <laughs> One comes from George Brett himself, who called you in an interview, the Italian nightmare. And the other is the Italian breakfast, which I am personally partial to. Obviously, an ode to Billy Butler, who is known as Country Breakfast, another really good Royals first baseman, obviously. On May 23rd, you tweeted, I honestly don't know what a real Italian breakfast is, but yesterday I had biscuits and gravy and two cups of coffee with a dash of French vanilla creamer. So if you had a preference to go by a certain nickname as you, you know, as, as more people get to know you, would you prefer the Italian nightmare or the Italian breakfast? 
anytime that one of the best hitters of all time gives you a nickname and you're also a hitter, I think you just have to full stop and go with that one. So <laughs> of the two, I'm going to have to go with George Brett here and say the Italian nightmare. But that that means no, there's no hate towards the Italian breakfast. Um, you know, I'm I'm very open. People can choose what they want. I, I'm not going to control the narrative when it comes to my own nickname. So anybody, you can call me whatever you want. That's fine. I enjoy that. Ken Griffey Jr. was both junior and the kid. You can have multiples. Yeah, that's like fine. Um, yeah, whatever. That's fantastic. <laughs> Tyler has nothing to add to that. He's also, on that. my Old Dominion, yeah. on my page, it should say somewhere on there that if there's one place you want to visit, where would it be? And because I was a freshman in high freshman in college and I was 18 years old, I said Omaha, Nebraska, because that's where the College World Series is. So kind of fitting that our AAA team is in Omaha, Nebraska. So I've crossed that off my bucket list, apparently, um, of visiting Omaha, Nebraska. So I'm here. I'm not here in the capacity that I thought I would be, which would be at you know, the College World Series. But I am but, here. But you are there, and you will get a chance uh, in the next few weeks to be in that city when the College World Series is going on. Do you guys have – are you going to be home? Do you have any plans? Obviously, there's the, the Monday off day now across the minor leagues. Are you going to get a chance to, to maybe go check out uh, what was formerly TD Ameritrade Park? Now it's been changed to a, a new naming rights sponsor who I can't remember now. But are you going to get a chance to go? <laughs> um, probably not. I have no idea when the College World Series is. And to be <laughs> honest, I don't. Like, I think we're at home next week, and then we're on the road, and then we're home again, and then I have no idea after that. So... <laughs> So it's just kind of up in the air, but I will say if, if we do randomly get some sort of day off, I, probably the last place that I'll be going is to watch a baseball game. Um, it has nothing to do with the guys. Plan. I don't know anybody that's going to be in the College World Series this year. Unless if Auburn makes it, I will be there. I will okay. find a way there because Carl Notamaker, who is the guy who recruited me at Old Dominion, one of one of the guys, there was plenty, but uh, one of the guys at Old Dominion who recruited me and he is now the recruiting coordinator slash first base coach at Auburn. So if they make it, I will be making an appearance in the College World Series. All right, Vinny, final couple of questions for you uh, that we got to ask you before we get you out of here. Um, you are uh, a guy who has been honored by past teams. As I mentioned a little while ago, uh, there was a Northwest Arkansas Naturals Vinny Pasquantino t-shirt giveaway last month. You tweeted – on that day, uh, quote, first off, I'm honored that you guys are doing a T-shirt giveaway with my name on it. So thank you, Northwest Arkansas Naturals. Second off, if you receive this shirt, bring it to the first base side seating area tomorrow and Michael Massey will sign every one of them. You told us uh, that Michael is one of your best friends. He was actually on your uh, the, your fellow roster with the uh, Pipeline Prospect Team of the Week this week. He's in Northwest Arkansas. Did anybody do that? Did Michael tell you? Did anybody come by and be like, hey, I saw on Twitter that Michael Massey would sign this for me? No. Um... I, cause so to be honest, I tweeted that before I told him I was going to, um, it was about the same time. And I, he doesn't have a Twitter. So <laughs> when I tweeted it, I immediately text him and I say, I just want you to know that I promised 500 people. If they see this, that you will sign every one of their t-shirts. And some of the guys on the team were giving him some grief about that, but I guess nobody ever came to the, to the side. He said he, he said he didn't see anybody. So I don't know if he's lying to me or say, what's going on that there. He should have been so, standing there know. with a sign that said, like, designated Vinny T-shirt signer. No Michael doubt. Massey I agree 100%. <laughs> so I'll have, to, I'll have to find a way to make Michael Massey pay for that one a little bit. You know, maybe send him. 
I'm gonna. I, I got a few of those shirts. Maybe I'll send them to him to get him to sign them for me. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep and send those them back. myself. Yeah, I think that's a great plan. Uh, yeah. you know that's what friends do for each other. So Michael, you gotta right. be. You know, you gotta be on the ball for this when you get that package in the mail in Northwest Arkansas. Um, all right, Vinny, we are gonna let you get rolling and uh, and get set for this game against Indianapolis tonight. You guys are set to take on the Pirates AAA affiliate coming up this evening at Warner Park. Uh, and thanks so much for the time, man. Congrats on all the success. If you want to. Follow Vinny on Twitter, which we would recommend. Uh, he is on Twitter at VPasquantino. And uh, Vinny, thanks so much for the time, man. Congrats on all success. And uh, I'm sure we'll be seeing you in Kansas City before too long. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it again. Thanks for having me on. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Tremendous thanks to Vinny Pasquantino from the Kansas City Royals organization for joining the show. And uh, we go from Omaha, Nebraska, somewhere in middle America, to the uh, northeastern corridors of the United States in Hartford, Connecticut, where we find Benjamin Hill, who is on the road again. Uh, a short notice, a short notice road trip, but uh, a road trip that uh, requires much less travel than the last one. Right, Ben? How are you? Hey, doing well. Yeah, I'm not in Hartford yet. Right now I'm in Northampton, Massachusetts. Oh, that's right. That's right. And, uh, you know, have family there. Jill, my partner, her family grew up around here. Or no, she grew up around here and her family is still here. Uh, so I'm in Northampton right now driving to Hartford on Friday, June 3rd. Uh, New Hampshire Fisher Cats on June 4th. Uh, where they will play as the Manchester chicken tenders, because as we've mentioned before, chicken tenders were invented in Manchester, or at least that's what they say. And, you know, what I've learned at this job is if a minor league team says something, it is definitely 100% true and 100% true refuted and has never turned out to be otherwise. Um, yeah. So chicken tenders, uh, Manchester chicken tenders on uh, Saturday, then I'll come back to Northampton um, for Sunday into Monday. And then I will travel to Portland, Maine, home of, uh, my friend, your friend, everyone's friend, Josh Jackson. Uh, technically, he lives in New Brunswick, but I'm going to meet up with Josh and we're going to go to the Portland Sea Dogs game on Tuesday, June 7th. Then on Wednesday, June 8th, I'll uh, leave Portland, say a fond farewell to Josh Jackson, pick up the rest of my family in uh, Northampton, drive back to New York City. And uh, it's just that time of year, isn't it? Very jealous that you get to experience a Sea Dogs game with Josh Jackson. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, we don't know exactly how we're going to handle it, but I'm hoping that night, even if it just ends up being social media content uh, throughout the day and that night, just to get a lot of short videos um, with him contextualizing just basically everything uh, in the area at the ballpark. And, you know, Josh, you know, maybe there's just like a, an outfield billboard of a business we've never heard of. I bet Josh Jackson could give us a interesting explanation of uh, what the story behind it is. Yeah, I can't wait for that. And one thing I wanted to ask about that, Ben, because it literally didn't hit me until just now, but the fact that they, the Fisher Cats, play as the Manchester chicken tenders. And I, I think I've seen that a few times in minor league baseball where they'll even change the place name. It, what, like, what goes into that? Is that just because they want to be super protective of the chicken tender for Manchester, the city? Is it like they don't want to credit all of New Hampshire with it? Like, why, why make that change, you think? 
Well, I think when I go there, I'll find out the answer to that. But my guess is, um, yeah, because it's specifically not just that the chicken tender was invented in New Hampshire, but in Manchester, and that's where they play. I think they wanted to really localize it with Manchester. And this is just one of those minor league baseball questions you just uh, brought up. You know, name alternate identities that change the uh, the name, not the the original name as well. And I know there's been others in that. You know, usually it's New Hampshire Fisher Cats. They're playing as Manchester. Um, I know there's been other examples of that, but right now at this moment, I am blanking on it and we're going to have to come up with those before the end of this episode. And of course, hit us up on Twitter, email, uh, whatever, and let us know what we're forgetting. Because I know people are listening right now thinking of some examples. Well, I mean, there's a, there's one that you're also going to the the Portland Sea Dogs became the main bean suppers. Right. In inverse. Good, good, good point, Sam. Like where New Hampshire the Fisher cats use New Hampshire as their state name all the time. And then they're just reverting to a city name for an alternate identity. Portland goes the reverse and uh, brings it out all the way to the state of Maine. I think in that case, cause they're not really saying like beans and beans for dinner were invented in any particular place. They're just saying that's something that is important to our, not just our city, but our entire state. I think it's a case by case basis. Like so many things are yeah, uh, well, in minor league baseball and this world. Well, I want a full report when you come back about why you will get a full report. Why Maine does it, why Portland does it, why New Hampshire does it. Um, there's a theme for the trip. Uh, speaking of trips, you know, there's still more stories you're going to be writing about your chip trip through Texas. Uh, you just had another one on MILB.com just yesterday uh, on June 1st. You wrote this or it went up on the site. It's about, uh, San Antonio bat boy, Big Mike Garcia, who is actually an icon in Sugarland, another place you visited on your trip, is now working in San Antonio. Um, what do, can you tell us about meeting him and, and now how he's a legend in one place and is building out his own legendary status with the missions? Yeah, it's a, it's a great minor league baseball story and the kind of story I've always focused on through the years. And again, I'm sure a lot of people listening know uh, from the ballparks they go to uh, the people that make it special. And uh, you know, Big Mike Garcia is one of those people. He attended high school in Sugarland, uh, Clements High School, where he was a bat boy. And uh, he said he wanted to keep following his dreams of being a bat boy. And um, you know, he has special needs. And I don't know the specifics behind that, but um, he went to a job fair in the te- uh, Sugarland. Uh, they were the skiers at the time. He went to a job fair and the team had a program in place where they're you know, trying to prioritize for game day employees, hiring people with special needs at the ballpark. And uh, they got Big Mike the uh, Bat Boy job. And uh, he was there from Sugarland's inaugural season in 2012 all the way through 2021, at which point, you know, they were an Astros affiliate and, um, you know, in AAA. Uh, so he was from the, with the franchise from the beginning, and he just became a player and fan favorite. I mean, the way he, you know, did his work on the field, hustling for the balls and bats, uh, really positive attitude, really hard worker. And uh, he moved with his family or with his mother uh, to San Antonio this past year. And fortunately the missions were able to offer him their bat boy job. And so he's still a bat boy. And I know they really miss him in Sugarland. And even though I met big Mike in San Antonio and, uh, you know, it's a story from San Antonio, that story's roots are in Sugarland because when I you know, told people there, I was going to San Antonio next, it was like, Oh, you're going to see Big Mike. They miss Big Mike there and they love him. And, you know, he's a big guy, but the way he explained, you know, his nickname was just, you know, he's big beyond just being a big guy. It's just big in terms of the energy and enthusiasm and uh, work ethic that he, that he brings to the, to the ballpark. And in 2016, Sugarland gave him his own bobblehead. 
and uh, you know how many bat boys get their own bobblehead. But to me, those are the kind of things I try to find to focus on. Those uh, those people that might not be known outside of the city in which they operate or, or work in or, or are fans in, uh, but that really means so much to the team and community and uh, and w- and where minor league baseball has you know meant so much to their lives. You got a chance um, to do that with San Antonio as well with a, uh, a broadcaster for the missions. Who's got a very interesting backstory compared to so many other broadcasters across, not just baseball, but really all the sports. Yeah. Well, that wasn't, then I moved on. I can barely keep track of myself, but I moved on from San Antonio to round rock and it was in round rock where I uh, did a piece on the broadcaster, Mike caps. And um, yeah, so that story will be out any day now and he hit his 3000th game milestone uh earlier this year and um you know he's been with the team since the beginning in the year 2000 of course we can't say in the year 2000 i know it went through all your head certainly yours tyler <laughs> in the year 2000 it absolutely uh, did <laughs> in the year 2000 um that was the first year of the round rock express they were then a double a astros affiliate in the texas league right now and they, you know they've been triple a for a long time but regardless and now they're a rangers affiliate but um, from the beginning, Mike Caps has been their broadcaster. He's now passed the 3,000 game milestone. And uh, his path is interesting because even though he's been with the team now uh, for over 20 years, he was roughly, you know, late 40s, 50 years old when he started with Round Rock. And he's now in his early 70s. And he came from a career in, uh, you know, journalism and hard news, uh, you know, working, uh, you know, local news in Houston, Dallas, Fort Worth, various places around the country eventually had a job as a reporter for CNN, you know, where he was on location internationally, you know, covering the Gulf War, uh, covering uh, the Haitian coup d'etat in 1991, where Aristide was overthrown. Uh, You know, he had some interesting quotes about just, you know, working as a police reporter, working these overseas gigs, you know, death and destruction and wars, and, uh, you know, a lot of heavy stuff. So I think coming to the world of uh, baseball after that, you know, has just, was such a you know load off his mind uh, to as much as it's hard work to be a broadcaster and the road trips and the, the late nights and the time away from your family. I think to have that kind of career change, uh, you know, at, you know, basically a midlife career change like that, and then have it be so long lasting and meaningful and hit that 3000 game milestone. And I asked him about it, you know, I know people, there's the one day at a time mentality, but at the same time, it was also like, Hey, now, what do you think about 4,000 games? And he was like, yeah, I'm doing the math. You know, we're playing 150 games in AAA and uh, you know, maybe that's about six years from now, something like that. And maybe if my health is okay, I'll be 77. And you know, why not, you know, one day at a time, but you know, that's some real longevity, very cool career in, in round rock. If I could figure out how to unmute myself, I would have told you that is a really amazing story. And now I can uh, round rock, not, not San Antonio, by the way, which I uh, messed that up, but all good stuff, which is up on the site and coming to the site at MILB.com right now. You can follow along with Ben's travels. Uh, he is at Ben's biz on Twitter, the Ben's biz on Instagram. What is the thing you're most excited about seeing Josh Jackson for? Oh, so many things. I mean, I'm going to see where he lives and I kind of want to see his book collection and uh, you know, the knickknacks and whatnot that he has at his house, you know, the telegraph, the old uh, Victrola. Um, I heard that, you know, he only travels by uh, horse and buggy and, and, you know, he's still a little skeptical of of trains. So I'm not sure how we're going to be getting around, but 
Um, I'm just excited to see, you know, how he lives and, and learn a lot about the, the main lifestyle and learn a bit more about the accent and the pronunciations. And you know how the Stephen King characters always say like, Aya or something like that, A-Y-U-H. Uh, I'm going to have J- Josh repeat that over and over and, uh, you know, take me to see his friends who are, of course, all very old men who, you know, sit on uh, general store porches and whittle. And uh, we're going to get some real character. This sounds like it's a joke. Uh, that's exactly how I envision Josh's life. Um, <laughs> I think with with trains, I think he's probably okay if they're steam powered, but I don't think he trusts anything else beyond that. Uh, yeah, yeah. You got to give him time. He's he's a traditionalist, let's say. Exactly. And you get to meet uh, Callie and Mickey, his, his dog and cat. Uh, which and Ella, of course, his wife, his lovely wife. But you know, I get very excited about Callie and Mickey pictures on on social media. So uh, enjoy that as well. Uh, Benjamin Hill, you can find again on social media at Ben's Biz on Twitter at the Ben's Biz on Instagram. And uh, enjoy the trip, man. Travel safe, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, and subscribe to my newsletter. Subscribe Lots to the newsletter. Exclusive uh, road trip content, kind of in the style of the old blog post on the newsletter, the Ben's Biz Beat, and uh, check that out too. There's a lot going on right now good stuff. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, guys. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. all of you out there in radio land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One actually took batting practice. The other two are purely theoretical. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Shreveport Gassers. B. The Port City Jammers. See the Bridgeport Clowns! You'll think I'm trying to have a laugh and a half, but the correct answer is A, the Shreveport Gassers. The Gassers had a hoot in the Texas League of the 1910s and 20s, representing Louisiana's gassiest city. Yes, Shreveport was a key hub for the early days of the American oil industry, home of Standard Oil of Louisiana way back in 1909. And the Gassers had standards of their own. Lee Garvin, a Midwesterner who'd been a player coach for the Shreveport Pirates in 1909 and 1910 during an earlier iteration of the Texas League, was plucked away from the North Carolina State League's Winston-Salem Twins to come back to town to helm the inaugural Gassers in 1915. But Garvin and the Gassers ran out of gusto come June. On June 7, Shreveport was held hitless by pitcher Vesey of the Beaumont Oilers, Falling to last place at 21 and 37, and Garvin tendered his resignation, citing internal interference. The Waco Morning News praised Garvin as one of the greatest comedians who ever graced a coaching line, and noted his popularity with fans. 
But when that gasser's faithful got a whiff of Garvin's replacement, they had to be pleased. Sidney E. Smith had seen 146 games of Major League action across five years as a player, including playing with the Pirates that very season. Although, in the second half of 1915, he lit up the gassers only enough to get them out of the basement, they finished ahead of Beaumont, 62-85. and 85. In 1916, he got Shreveport into second place. Three years later, in 1919, a different Skipper Smith, Skipper Billy Smith, got the gassers their only Texas League title, as Shreveport won the season's first heat, and beat the heavily favorited second heat winning Fort Worth Panthers in the circuit's first pennant series. There's another element the Gassers ought to be known for. Jim Riley, the only player to play in both Major League Baseball and the National Hockey League, was a member of the Shreveport Nine in 1923. And that's the hot air on the Gassers. Now on to the question for next time. Which of these fishy teams kept afloat in the minors of yesteryear? A. The Sand Lake Steelheads B. The Corpus Christi Crispy Snappers C. The Taunton Herrings Want to know the answer? Grab a rod and reel. Or tune in to the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is headed to New England, but he hasn't even tried the old one. Big thanks to our guests this week, Vinny Pasquantino and Benjamin Hill. Josh Jackson stopping by as well for the triumphant return of Ghosts of the Miners this week. And uh, with all of that in the rearview mirror, set to wrap this thing up. Ben, what are you watching on MILB? Ben? I just call you Ben. I just got Ben on the brain. Sam, what are you watching on MILB.TV this week? I will hang up this call right now and <laughs> give you Ben if that is what you want. If that is a Freudian slip that you want Ben instead it's of so me. so jealous he gets to hang out with Josh. I haven't gotten to hang out with Josh in so long. I know. I hate it. Anyway, we, what are you watching? We, we get the, the bone moths of uh, Ghost of the Miners every week. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. what I have my eye on is a pretty big one this Sunday, Sunday, June 5th at 6 p.m. Eastern. It is the Pipeline Game of the Month. Uh, our colleague Jonathan Mayo will be traveling to Altoona, not too far of a drive for him, uh, in the Pittsburgh area, for a game between Altoona and the Bowie Bay Sox, two absolutely loaded teams in the Eastern League. Um, Altoona, we thought coming into the year was maybe the most loaded minor league team, uh, of any of the teams because of their roster of talent. Nick Gonzalez, obviously there they've since had Henry Davis called up, although he's currently injured as is Quinn Priester. Uh, but Leover Paguero is off to a great start there. So they have a great double play combination. Bowie has Gunnar Henderson, who's done tremendously, uh, at start the year. He was somebody we moved up in our top 100 when we did our refresh a couple of weeks ago. Um, so absolutely loaded with talent, but there's going to be more involved there because it is the pipeline game of the month. Jonathan will be on the broadcast in Altoona. Um, he'll also be giving a live tour of People's Natural Gas Field, which Tyler, you know uh, pretty well. There'll also be some live Instagram interviews with top prospects on both rosters. Uh, so keep an eye on other social media on Sunday, not just the game itself, but also Instagram uh, to, to see those interviews. And we'll do, you know, write those up as Q and A's after the fact as well. So lots going around uh, for this game between Pirates prospects and Orioles prospects on Sunday. You make sure you catch the MLB pipeline game of the month between Bowie and Altoona. Tyler, what do you got? I'm going to step up the minor league ladder to uh, AAA Columbus, which is hosting 
Toledo and Riley Green, the second ranked prospect in all of baseball, is back in the lineup at AAA. Uh, Riley Green coming off of a, a foot injury that he suffered in spring training after fouling a ball off his foot, I think on April 2nd, like the last couple of days of spring training. But Riley Green is back in action, had a couple of games uh, with Lakeland in the Florida State League at the end of May before getting the call up to Toledo. Uh, so far, he's only played two games um, with the Mud Hens, and he is one for seven to kick things off back at AAA. But he and the Mud Hens are in Columbus this weekend uh, to take on the Clippers. There was a squirrel delay in Columbus the other day, so maybe tune in for some fun there. They're also home next week uh, to take on the Iowa Cubs. And Tuesday is Hens and Hounds night. Uh, in Toledo. So I would imagine if you tune into that game, you'll get a lot of dog pictures on the broadcast, which is good for everybody. So uh, Riley Green and the Toledo Mud Ends, my pick for this week. And that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show podcast. Big thanks to, to Vinny and to Ben and to Josh. And for Sam Dykstra, my name is Tyler Mom. We'll talk to you next week.